Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Once a week, I have lunch at Commander's Palace and invite guests from the world of New Orleans business to join me. Hey, it's carnival time. Everybody's having fun. So why shouldn't we? We sat around the out-to-lunch office to plan the Mardi Gras-themed business show, and after a few martinis, we came up with a couple of great guests. They're kind of, well, tangentially related to Mardi Gras, sort of, maybe. Ann Rolfus has a background in community health, third world poverty, and environmental justice. Okay, now how is that related to Mardi Gras again? Oh yeah, in 2012, Anne launched Zombeads. Zombeads recycles waste materials to make Mardi Gras throws that you don't throw away after you catch them. The concept is to reduce the amount of petrochemical-based plastic waste, also known as Mardi Gras beads, and raise money for the petrochemical watch group, the Louisiana Bucket Brigade. Rick DeLop doesn't need Fat Tuesday to bust out the beads or lingerie or shiny stockings or stilettos. Rick is the founder of Bust Out Burlesque. Bust Out Burlesque is the New Orleans-based revival of the lost art of burlesque entertainment in which striptease dancers are accompanied by live traditional jazz band, comic MC, singers, and other variety acts. The monthly show at the House of Blues is a return to the glory days of Bourbon Street, and in 2011, it was named by the Travel Channel as one of the top ten burlesque shows in the world. Uh, Rick, and happy Mardi Gras, and uh, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. Rick, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, it's Mardi Gras. Uh, it's been pretty, pretty loose here at Commander's getting ready for this show, and I know you can't believe everything you read on the Internet, but I was looking at your bio, and it says you graduated from De La Salle High School uptown, went to LSU, and then Columbia, and graduated with a degree in documentary filmmaking. It, it looks like you were headed for something career-wise, but I wouldn't have guessed you'd become one of the world's top ten burlesque promoters. Uh, what attracted you to it, and how do you even know how to produce a burlesque show? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I did go to school for documentary filmmaking, and then I uh, started doing a documentary about the history of burlesque in New Orleans. And that is what really, uh, uh, you know, uh, I've, I found my passion through that. Really? Uh, burlesque, yeah. Uh, David Cuthbert, who used to write for the Times-Picayune, was the one who told me about what it used to be like in the French Quarter on Bourbon Street back in the 50s. His father was a, a burlesque performer, and he grew up uh, on Bourbon Street and told me what it used to be like. And this totally fascinated me, uh, being from New Orleans and um, not really going down to the French Quarter until like the 80s when it was o when pretty much over to, with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I, I started working on this documentary and wanted to see that type of show come back. You know, I learned so much about it from the performers in, the, in that day that I wanted to see you know, a show like this come back. And what were some of the famous names? Like, you always hear the story about the, is it the woman that came out of the oyster shell? Yeah, Evangeline, the oyster girl. She was the very first person that I, I met that was a performer back in those so days. So she was 
alive and kicking for your she documentary. She still is, yeah, and she still is. And we just recently did a recreation of her famous Oyster Girl act. Uh, in December, we premiered it at House of Blues. Wow, you know, I took a friend, I had a friend in from out of town, and we went to go see your show at House of Blues, and it, it draws a huge crowd. Uh, and the downstairs was all sold out, so we, we stood up on the balcony, and my friend said, oh, how much you would have liked to have been on the yeah. floor. And the first girl comes out, and she's in a Western theme, and within a couple of minutes, an old guy just faints on the floor, <laughs> and they have to carry him out. And, uh, and then my friend goes, hey, look, there's two seats downstairs. I said, that is so wrong. You know, even I knew that was wrong. <laughs> it's very, but it is a very titillating show. I can see how the, you know, if you didn't have a good ticker, that would go for you. I, I enjoyed that a, gr a great deal. <laughs> I, and I have to ask you this. I do remember that. You did? That was years ago. It though. was. It was years ago. <laughs> and I thought that was, uh, I thought, what a great, what a great ad for the show. And, um, but let me ask you, people must ask you this question. What's the difference between burlesque and stripping, for instance? Well, burlesque is, is more theatrical. Um, the dancers come out in, in, in beautiful costumes. It's glamorous. Uh, there's props involved, um, you know, mood lighting. You know, some of the acts, they tell stories. Uh, it's classy. Uh, whereas, you know, what you would see today on Bourbon Street is um, more of, um, you know, I mean, the girls don't even, they kind of come out naked, they swing on a pole, and they're, they're, they're doing this for tips, and it's more of an a, of a interactive thing with the, uh, customer. you know, the customer so and, the, uh, and the lap dances and stuff. So right, it's you don't really have that quite stuff. different. No, yeah, yeah, it's very different. It's very production. different. And um, I'm going to uh, ask you next, you know, in New Orleans, no matter how seriously we take ourselves during the year, most of us give ourselves a pass for Mardi Gras and lighten up a bit uh, on everything except, you know, king cake, Bloody Marys, and beads. But I think to most New Orleanians, declaring Mardi Gras beads as petrochemical waste that needs cleaning up would cause a round of folks saying, oh, come on, Ian, lighten up, for goodness sake, it's Mardi Gras. But um, do you get that response, or is that just something I would, I would think? Well, you know, notice I haven't said that Mardi Gras beads are petrochemical waste. You have. That, and absolutely, so, absolutely. And for that very reason, we don't really talk in that way. We just say that Mardi Gras beads should be a locally-based business. Uh, certainly there's an environmental component, but really an even bigger component is the fact that we're missing a huge opportunity. Uh, we have a chance to produce Mardi Gras throws locally, to hire people both to design them and to make them, and we see it as a as a as an potential for serious economic growth here. Our idea is that we will be to Mardi Gras beads and throws what Blaine Kern is to floats. I think it has oh. that great uh, possibility for growth. Why? And you know, it's funny. I'm, even when you catch a cup uh, at the bottom, I think it says produced made in St. Louis, and everything else, I guess, comes from China. Is it? Or? Yeah. If you look at a map of where the throws are made, it's really interesting because you see arrows first coming from the Middle East and even from South America to China. So the oil is transported across the world to China, and the chemicals also. And then the the throws are manufactured there, and then you see these long arrows across the Pacific Ocean back to New Orleans, and you know, it, it, it just seems like ridiculous uh, waste of resources for, transportation costs yeah, for, for, for all of that uh, travel for a Mardi Gras bead to be so worldly. And it's really not necessary. Think about the hundreds and thousands of dollars that are spent on Mardi Gras beads, you know, millions of dollars. You know, why shouldn't that be here and be an economic engine for our state? You know, there's a lot, again, there's a lot of opportunity. The good news is that when we sat down to make our business plan, we realized that the market is enormous and we look forward to, to filling it. And um, now I know the plastic beads are, of course, very, very cheap yeah. uh, to make. How much? Um, 
How yeah, about, what's the cost that's, that's the real question, isn't it? And, and it's the question, if you look at manufacturing and why it has fled to other parts of the world, it's because the cost um, is really hard to compete on. So Mardi Gras beads made in China are five cents a throw. You know, our seeded paper is at this point about a dollar. Our ceramics are two. And our um, these wooden keychains are a little bit more expensive than that. So these are our first incarnations. Um, we expect that we will get cheaper as we go along and perfect our manufacturing process. Yeah, like solar panels. Exactly, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, price, price is certainly... Um, an issue for us and it's something that we're working on. We also know though that it's a selling point when, we, when you think about what is value. And so when you have zombies, um, you don't just have a piece of plastic, but in fact you have something that provides jobs, that spurs our local economy and also is good for our environment. And there's a value on that that I think is worth more you know, than just a nickel for a strand of beads. I was going to ask Rick, um, you know, we see once a month at House of Blues, but September is... Um, your your huge event, and you started this, right? The yes. What do we call this? A burlesque it's the, it's month? It's the New Orleans Burlesque Festival. Oh, okay. And it's three nights. Uh, it's over three nights of shows. There's there's uh, five shows over those three nights, and and it's performers from all over the world that come in. It's not just a local showcase. It's a it's an international festival. And a bunch of different venues. Uh, well, the event, yes. Well, mainly House of Blues and Harris. Wow. In the theater there at Harris. We do three shows at Harris and two at House of Blues. And that's a time of year that really needed some help because mid-September is usually evacuation month. So, you know, to have something to look forward to would be great. Yes. There's well, that's why we picked September, you know, because um, there wasn't a lot of competition. There wasn't a lot of other things going on in September. And um, when we started this in um, uh, 2009, uh, even the, the hotels were... Um, we're pretty cheap too. So now, Rick, uh, we you know we see it uh, once a month at, at House of Blues, but uh, is being the burlesque guy is that a full-time job? Yes, yes, it is. Um, I know we are uh, only once a month at House of Blues, but I uh, I keep pretty busy with the burlesque festival, which is a really uh, a huge event and requires uh, a lot of work to to produce and to plan that and put it together. Um, I also do a show in Vegas once a month. I mean, not once a month. I'm sorry, once a year. Um, for Viva Las Vegas, which is a, a, a giant rockabilly festival. Um, so, but I mean, it's you know, I, I've been trying to to make this show weekly um, and do it on a more regular basis in New Orleans because I think there is a demand for that, and um, it's just uh, it's really difficult um, finding the right venue to do yeah. that in. Can we take back Bourbon Street? I mean, it'd be great to get a show yeah. on Bourbon. I think that would be popular. Yeah, I, I definitely do think it would be popular. Um, I get calls and emails um, from, from tourists or visitors all the time wanting to come to a show, and I always have to tell them, no, no show this, you know, no show tonight, no show this weekend. Um, so there definitely is a, a, a demand out there for it. Well, that's I hope I hope that works. The, uh, you're the anti-poll people. That's a, that'd be a good logo, maybe a bumper sticker <laughs> for you, you know? <laughs> you know, we like at this point to do something called a checklist where we ask you a couple of questions that uh, probably wouldn't show up on a loan application. And uh, uh, I'm going to uh, come up with a couple of uh, questions regarding this time of year. So I'm going to I'll start out with, with Rick. Uh, what do you do on Mardi Gras Day? Uh, well, my wife and I, we dress up and we, we usually follow St. Anne, uh, walk around the Marigny in the French Quarter. That's what we do. Do you know who you're going to be this year? Or? Um, no, we don't always have like a theme. Sometimes it's just a crazy costume, you know. And we, we, we usually put it together um, 
almost at the last minute. But. <laughs> and Anne, what are you going to do on Fat Tuesday? Well, I'm a, a big fan of Zulu, so I'm already working on my, my persuasive abilities to get a couple of coconuts, which, you know, is quite zombies-related because they are handmade and they're sure. unique and people keep them. I mean, I have uh, a couple of coconuts in my in my living room that are on display. So um, I'll be at, at Zulu on Jackson Avenue uh, pretty so early in the morning. So if you are writing, you should, they should look for you? Exactly. Absolutely. That is, well, that yes. is, yeah, that's a very good way to explain it, though, the fact that people keep the coconuts. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, you know, this, the, the good news about the, the, the idea is that it really does match what our traditions are and what our culture is. And, and so even now, people spend a lot of time on handmade beads, and, and that's the energy that we're working to, uh, to elaborate on. Wow, I rode Zulu a couple of years ago. It was the most fun I'd ever, ever had. The, uh, uh, what, um, what's the best, ask Anne, I'll start with you on this. What's the best Mardi Gras you've ever had? Do you have a favorite one you look back? Oh, well, don't you think that, that your best Mardi Gras has to be when you're a teenager or in your early 20s? And so my best Mardi Gras is when I was actually in Colorado um, for college but drove here with friends uh, 24 hours to get to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. And... Yeah, that's no contest, my best Mardi Gras. Now, by the time it was actually Mardi Gras Day, um, my most vivid memory is being seated on a curb, slumped over. Uh, but uh, before that, I had a lot of fun in the quarter on balconies and at, at you know, on St. Charles Avenue in the parades. I remember my friends, I remember arriving on the Saturday, being in Lee Circle. My friends couldn't believe that there were parades, there were floats with lights on them, right? These were people from Montana and, and San Francisco, so... Yeah, that was my most fun ever. Well, good. those sound like good ones. Yeah. Rick, what about yourself? Uh, uh, I can't even remember. Really? That's, uh, that's the answer. Of, so many guests give that response. They, uh, it's a, uh, wow. But you have, you've had a lot of good times, though. Oh, sure, yeah. I'm always out there. I remember I had friends in town once, and we were eating Popeye's fried chicken leaning against a dumpster. Yeah. And my friend turned to me, and he said, Peter, are we going to get any lower than this? Because I need to know. It's fine. It's <laughs> all yeah. <laughs> Let's see. We're going to check the inbox now. That's where our producer picks a question that's come in from a listener uh, during the week. Uh, Grant, what have you got? Peter, I've got two questions, one for each of our guests today. Um, should we start with Rick? Yeah. Rick, this comes from Talia Sogomonian, who actually is in Paris, France, and listens to our show as a podcast there. She says, have dancers like Dieter von Thies popularized burlesque, made it more mainstream, and as it becomes more mainstream, is there a danger of it losing some of its artistic spirit? Um, Dita Von Tees, who I have known for years, and so I have this is like I, the Babe Ruth of burlesque. This is yeah, I've worked okay. with her. She's she's probably the she is the most uh, known, most famous burlesque performer in the world, and um, she doesn't even really have any competition. She is the one. Wow. Um, she she. Um, she definitely has made burlesque uh, more mainstream, although it's 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 not really mainstream yet. And um, otherwise, you would have a place in Parma, right, Ohio. But yeah, right. And it should be it should be mainstream. And I don't think that um, that it would um, compromise any artistic uh, uh, integrity or anything. I mean, I I, I think bur bur burlesque, if it became mainstream, would still. Uh, continue on like it is now. Uh. Anne, here's a question for you yep. from Kristen Winterstein. She says, I love this initiative. There's a great need for shifting away from those ubiquitous ugly plastic beads that dangle sadly from tree limbs all year round and towards something more ecologically and socially sustainable that contributes to the local economy. 
I guess that's not exactly a question. But then she asks, <laughs> are local Mardi Gras distributors receptive to the alternative throws? And also, where can I buy them? Good question. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that really I think it's beautiful to see the beads from the trees. And, and, and being positive about Mardi Gras is really an important part of the message. We're not trying to be a wet blanket at all. We just think there's an opening for some local production. Um, so uh, you should contact us, zombeads.biz or on Facebook. Um, and th regarding the receptivity of the, of the other companies, you know, there are a lot of crews in this town, 35,000 people who are crew members. And uh, they're, you know, certainly um, a significant number of those people are interested. And, in, you know, at this point, I don't think that filling the order, that getting the orders will be our problem. It will actually be a problem of being able to keep up with um, the demand. <laughs> this is our lunch money segment. We take a look at our uh, lunch money. Lunch money is our, our out-to-lunch stock portfolio. Uh, first of all, the markets have been doing incredibly well. The Dow Jones Industrial Average broke the 14,000 level uh, uh, not too long ago here. And interestingly enough, um, I think the market still might have an ability to go much higher because I know that when I'm at barbecues or crawfish boils, nobody ever asked me about stocks still. So I think the peak is when People start talking mm -hmm. your ear off, and uh, people are still asking me where they should bury their gold. So that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a good sign. I'll start with, this is where we, when we build the portfolio, we like to ask our guests to come up with a stock, and we add it to our uh, out-to-lunch portfolio. So, I th Anne, I thought I'd start with you. What, uh, what stock did you bring to the table today? Well, the stock that I selected does have something to do with zombies, although it may not appear to have anything in common at first. It's called SodaStream. Um, it is a product that you have at home and you can make your water fizzy with it. And um, so for people who like to drink, I don't know, the other brands, um, it's a way to save some money by um, making your own bubbly water. But the good news is that it really prevents the need for plastic bottles and for all the trucking um, that gets the products into grocery stores. And so that's its kind of tie-in with, with my business interests. It's actually an Israeli company. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when I saw those ads, I thought that took a lot of chutzpah to mm. go out against Coke and, <laughs> Coke and Pepsi. I thought that was, that was a fun thing. And now, Rick, you mentioned that you're not kind of a, you're not a stock market guy. No, I don't really have a pick, but I thought that you could uh, give me some tips or suggestions. Oh, okay. That'll be, that'll be good. Actually, <laughs> and this company is called uh, Mid-South Bank, and you see them around town. They're out of Lafayette. You probably remember them growing up as a, yeah. as a little girl. And, um, and very, a very interesting company run by a guy named Rusty Cloche out there. Ticker symbols MSL, and he told me an interesting story. Not only is the bank very profitable, but several years ago, uh, the chairman, the head of the New York Stock Exchange, called Mr. Cloche at Mid South Bank and asked them if they could change, they could take his ticker symbol. You know, every stock has a ticker symbol, and so he said, "I don't know, uh, Mr. Grasso, I'll call you back." And and so he calls the exchange, and the exchange says, "Don't change your ticker symbol. That's the only way anybody knows you down here." So he calls him back, and he says, "Mr. Grasso, I'm sorry, I'm, I've been advised I should keep my ticker symbol." And Grasso says, um, uh, "Well, that's okay. I was just—we have a new company going public, and the chairman is a little bit aggressive and asked if I could make that call. And it was Martha Stewart Living." Whoa. So that, that, that's why Martha wow. Stewart Living is MSO. And, of course, that story later took many twists and turns. Uh, well, yes, that's the right. The federal penitentiary. That's There's right. a, yeah. is still, still doing very well, though. Now, uh, we're here at Mardi Gras, but if we were to ask you about Mardi Gras 2014, what would, what would your business look like a year from now? Uh, Rick, yourself, uh, you mentioned you'd like to do more shows, I guess. Yeah, uh, that's definitely something I'm, I'm working hard on now is to, to uh, and I may have something this year, actually, uh, to do uh, more shows, uh, weekly shows, 
uh, to, to build my uh, festival in September, and um, I'm also putting together a new show um, with one of the singers, dancers in my show, Athena, who's, uh, who's on American Idol this season, and we're, oh. we're working on putting her, a show together um, built around her. And what about it? Actually, a year from now, I should be working on Mardi Gras 2015. We should have filled a lot of orders. We should be preparing to catch zombies throw in all the big parades this weekend, you know, from Muses and Crew d'Etat to um, Bacchus and all, all through the next week. In the beginning, we'll certainly be an add-on to people's throws. And when people catch it, there will be a tag on it. And the tag will say, this throw created X number of jobs in New Orleans and eliminated the need for a certain number of barrels of oil. It's really important for people who catch it to understand that loop uh, because it is really an opportunity and um, we know that people are energized by it so you know next year will be much will we'll be uh, our throws will be in the parades and then the next year it should be more and more um, as we perfect our business great catches and uh, more burlesque, burlesque shows it's, it's going to be worth living and, and, some, and someday we hope you know in a few years we hope to be one of your guest stock picks right Ooh, <laughs> oh that's all you need is a ticker symbol that's right there's a Z-O-M <laughs> Ann Rolfus uh, Rick Delop several 25 cent martinis later this has been a real Mardi Gras lunch thank you both for joining me on Out to Lunch today and, and happy Mardi Gras Thank Happy you, Mardi, Mardi Gras. Great, guys are great. My guests on Out to Lunch have been Ann Rolfus, and she's founding director of Louisiana Bucket Brigade and founder of Zombeads, and Rick Delop, creator and producer of Bust Out Burlesque. To find out more about Ann's beads or Rick's Bust Out Burlesque, follow the links on our sites, wwno.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Cliff. Sorry. Our technical producer is Chris Keogh. Our web designer and digital guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden. Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music at Out to Lunch. You can keep up with our continuing adventures in Crescent City Commerce by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook. And you can get in touch with us and sign up for our mailing list at itsneworleans.com. And you can follow us on Twitter. We're at It's New Orleans. To listen to past shows or get this show as a podcast, go to wwno.org or itsneworleans.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. I look forward to meeting with you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, happy Mardi Gras and be safe. Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc.